Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. We are excited to welcome you to our authority series. We will be talking about the contents of our mind, mouth, attitude, and life actions, and how these are the staples to further understand our authority in God's kingdom. Get ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up. Here's Lisa. Thank you for being here this morning. You guys know it's Palm Sunday, right? So I had probably, I don't know, three or four different messages on what I wanted to speak this morning. I even had the idea of just putting palm branches like everywhere, but you know, that costs like five or six hundred dollars or more for what, you know, what the vision of it to make it look good would be. But just to have something that that gave us the visual for what Jesus saw and what he did, you know, he, he fulfilled so many prophecies in his lifetime, but what he would be getting ready to do, you know, in the week ahead is going to be hard. It's They call it Holy Week, and it just seems so much more like Hell Week for everything he's going to face in the next week ahead. But today was the day when he rode into Jerusalem, and it would have been his last time. And he was on a little donkey, on a little colt. And that's a prophecy fulfilled. So when people saw him and they, you know, had, his fame had grown and they saw him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, they were like, wow, that prophecy is being fulfilled. He's the Messiah. And they started to just take off their coats and lay them down. So that just the donkey and Jesus ride right over it. You know, in the Mel Gibson passion version of this whole story, there's the scene where Jesus is riding in on that colt. And it's like the sun is filtered through the palm branches that are being waved, you know. When we wave our hands, it's symbolic of that palm branch, you know. I mean, we don't have to bring a big palm branch in here to wave our hand like that that just stirs the glory of God because Hosanna, being the word of the day, it means 10,000 praises to Jehovah. Hosanna. How many times can we say it? And so Palm Sunday, I mean, a lot of churches are going to take a break off of what they usually, the normal routine would be and what they're usually talking about to focus on Palm Sunday and Easter, but we're not going to do that. I, I really feel like we need to stay in a thread when God's speaking something to us until we get it. And so we've been in a season of studying authority, the kingdom authority of God living on the inside of us. And what does that mean? You know, and I mean, we've had good teaching and bad teaching on this subject. We've been looking at the life of David. We've been, you know, gaining so much wisdom and insight on how to how to come from small and meager means to the, you know, to the most. And how God can do that. God can take something that seems insignificant and turn it into something glorious and powerful and beautiful. And so we watch and we look and we observe and we and we glean. And so the whole objective of this season of our lives in teaching and in church is that you and I will connect this authority to our lives. That it won't just be some theory or some thought that we have, but it'll be something that we actually connect to our lives, and then we begin to live out of it. So I don't know how you are in your life and where you go, but I mean, like, my faith is just part of my life. I, I'll meet people and have a conversation, and it always comes around to faith. It always comes around to Jesus. Something always comes around to where, you know, where I've been and what I've had a privilege of doing and what I suffered through maybe in some, some of my life and, and how I overcame that. And it wasn't by my own authority or my own willpower or anything like that. Willpower is tiny, you know. I know people that can just set their mind, well, I'm only going to eat, you know, meat for the rest of my life. And I'm like, gross, until you vomited out your nostrils according to the Bible. But, you know, I know. I'm just kidding. It's a car- the carnivore diet, you know. I mean, my husband, he, if, if he could just eat pork for every meal, he would do it. Bacon, 
then sausage, then a pork steak, then a pork chop, and then some more sausage, and then more bacon. You know, he just loves it. Thank God. Occasionally, I'll get something green into the plate and into him. But, but people just set their mind, set their will. I'm going to do this. And then, and then they can start to lose weight, or they can start to turn a corner or have something different. Well, willpower in and of itself, you know, is a, is a little bit of it. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside that makes us able to do it. It's called dudamus is the word. That infilling, that power of the Holy Spirit to come and be on the inside. And his authority is the thing that causes our willpower to even be of effect. So why do I say all that? Well, I feel like this. You know, when Jesus is coming into town on the cult, and man, that's his day. That's his day that for a moment he's connecting with people and they're worshiping him and he's the king. You know, and he's feeling it. These same people, you know, in a little bit of time are going to be yelling crucify him because people are fickle. Don't think you're the only one. People are fickle. So, you know, but this is his day. So looking ahead to the week he's going to have, just to highlight some of it, we're going to read a little bit of it. But, you know, what's he going to look at? He's going to end up, you know, being mocked, ridiculed. He's going to turn over the tables of the money changers in the, you know, in the church. And he's going to say, you've made, it, you made this a den of thieves when it's supposed to be a house of prayer. He's going to cause a stampede at Passover. You know, Jesus is going to end up being betrayed by people very close to him. When Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek, he says, do what you came to do, friend. That's what Jesus said. You know, there's, there's so many times when, when he could have just like lifted up in power and just like with just like one stroke or in the direction of someone annihilate their presence. He's God. He's God in human. And he had an incredible amount of restraint and an and a amazing and perfect example of authority over self. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Authority over self. So God, would you come and Watch over this word to perform it, and would you speak life to us in it, and would you help us to become masters of our own self and stewards of ourselves for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's not like Jesus couldn't show all of his glory and and change the whole landscape in an instant. If you remember, he did it for Peter, James, and John, and we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. It doesn't say that in the Bible. The Bible just says it like this in Matthew 17. Would you stand up with me to read the word? You lean in, and I'll, I'll read it for us. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white like light. Jesus then appeared. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So, you guys, just think about if I'm standing here and all of a sudden I transform into some being that's shining with light and and I'm really tall and I'm really strong and powerful and the whole room is just filled with like the tangible presence of just awe. That's what happened right in front of the disciples with Jesus. And then Peter spoke because he would. He always answers for everybody. I like him. I would have done the same thing probably. Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And if you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples fell face down to the ground, terrified, and Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. You can sit down. And they see Jesus as Jesus most of the time. 
just how he, how he was, God in human. And they saw the human part most of the time. Jesus could raise up his hand at any moment. I think it's where um, the guards come, the Roman guards come to arrest Jesus, and Peter stands up with the sword, cuts off the soldier's ear. He's, they, the disciples have to be thinking, this is it. This is it. We're going to fight now. Here's my sword. I'm going to draw it. And, I, and he strikes off the ear. And you know the story? Jesus is like, no, that's not what we're doing. And he leans in and heals the ear of a soldier that potentially could be crucifying him next week. Jesus didn't come for that. He's saying, guys, that's not why we're here. You know, this isn't the story. There's a, there's a couple chapters earlier in Matthew where the disciples are walking with Jesus and somebody from another, another race, another culture starts to mock them and make fun of them because they're Jews and even spits a little bit on them. And, and this is where James and John get a nickname. If you don't know it, it's the Sons of Thunder. And what happened is they're walking along the way and, and they get a little flack from these other people. People are mocking them and making fun of them. And I th- I, James or John, you know, they lean in and they go, Jesus, can't we just one time call fire from heaven and just wipe them out? Have you ever thought like that about somebody else? I mean, I know I have too, but it's, it's, that's what their thought was. And Jesus, you know, he ends, up, he ends up telling him, no, you guys, no. Think about what you're saying. You're asking for me to open up heaven and release the power of God to kill somebody who said some mean stuff to you. Well, if you put it like that, Jesus. That's how you put it, though. That's how we put it. The power of God is a powerful thing. And right then we're seeing it, that Jesus could do that. He could call down fire from heaven. He could stop his crucifixion. He could stop the beating. He could have fought whenever he had to face Herod and he had to face Pilate and all those questions. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He says to Peter during the time when he cut off the sword, hey, you know, I could call on a legion of angels if I needed to. My father would send a legion, a league of angels if I wanted him to. That's not why we're here. Jesus shows restraint. He shows authority over himself. And a lot of this, remember, these guys were born into captivity. They're not free people. They're not living in a, in a republic of the United States like you are. They're living under a Roman captivity. Okay? It's a little different mentality maybe than we, than we would think. And so Jesus is showing how he masters himself in, in conflict. But there's a lot of other times, too. Jesus is taking a nap when there's a storm. And the guys are afraid for their lives, you know. Jesus is taking a hike alone with the Father on a mountain when the guys are trying to cast the devil out of somebody. There's things that Jesus is doing to show that his, re- his restraint and his ability to enjoy his humanity, at the same time, he doesn't just offer judgment and offer, you know, slaying the whole, making the whole situation flat and over and done because he's God and he's the king. We have to learn that kind of self-discipline and self-authority for ourselves. And how do we do that? I mean, short of joining a monastery and taking a vow of poverty and silence and being quiet and getting over ourselves and our materialistic desires and all of our wants, how do we come to a place where we become masters of our own selves and carry authority of our own self like he did, like he showed us? And what a better day to investigate these things than a day where we're going to say Hosanna. Hosanna is the word of the day. So how do you do that? It's every choice that you make, 
one choice at a time. That's the small version. That's the easy answer. But it's a little bit at a time, one choice at a time. And I think that what, what we do, and especially as Christians, is we're living our everyday lives, and we have this, this backstory or this thought in the back of our head like, well, God will do it. Oh, I'm going to give that to the Lord. I'm going to give that to Jesus. Well, the Lord will take care of it. You know, I'm putting that in God's hands. And it almost sounds spiritual. It sounds, you know, like it would be the right answer. I'm just going to leave that up to the Lord. And some of that's true. I mean, you have to leave deliverance up to the Lord, but it's your part to act in prayer. You know, you have this cadence, like this, this flow with God, like you have a relationship with him, and you do part, and he does part. And he, he's never, ever going to be the kind of God or ruler that just forces you abject humility to obey him. He gives you the choice. And he will never take that from you because it would be, you can't force someone to love you. That's prostitution. You offer yourself and you want to be loved and, and have someone love you in response. You can't force that. It just can't happen. God will never take your will or your freedom to choose away from you. But he'll give you the empowerment the equipment, the word of God, the ability, and he'll give you friends around about you to help you make the right choices and to make the right decisions. It's a powerful connection between you and God. Whew! How do we gain authority over ourselves, man? I like it. There's a scripture or a phrase. There's even some songs that are written. It says, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. And it emphasizes that. I took back what he stole from me. A lot of times, well, it comes from the story of Gideon, you know, and this is a time where the people over Israel at that, at, at that season were taking their very food. And if you remember Gideon, he's hiding out. He's hiding out in a wine press trying to get some, some grain and some food so he can feed his family because they're stealing everything. And God comes on the scene with empowerment to say, not only am I going to get you food, we're going to go into their camp and we're going to take everything, everything they stole and everything that's theirs. And we're going to do it with a few people, not a lot. And we bring this, I'm bringing this story up because why would God go to all that trouble and why do we have to do it with just a few people and not, a, not the great army that we had? God has some criteria that you have to drink your water the right way to be in this army, but that's not really the point of the day. The point is that God doesn't want us to have things come to us so easy that we can take credit for it that we did it. He wants us to go through things acknowledging that he is the one that came through for you. So yeah, the Lord will do it through you. Through you getting up and you acting and you becoming a, a, a lead character in your own story. You're the hero of your own story. And you have to stand up and you have to act on it. So remember, the Old Testament heroes are the people that the New Testament writers are referring to when they're writing things and when they're having insight about Jesus walking among them, it's the, it's the Old Testament guys that we look to. And for me, I mean, all of the powerful things, the parting of the Red Sea and all the miracles, and I'm calling on the God of Jacob, I love that song. All those kinds of things we remember, who God was and who he is and how he's moving. And, and they all end in this crescendo like of Jesus, you know, dying on that cross and then raising from the dead. There's no, there's nothing cooler than that. There's just nothing bigger. There's nothing more profound or holy. And because Jesus initiates raising from the dead, and he's the one who does it, he gets to make all the rules. He's the one who will make all the rules. He's the one who will set in authority self-government, self-mastery. 
So I wanted to look at a couple of the stories, you know, of where Jesus shows his self-restraint. And maybe not just, this is, again, these are conducting yourselves in the middle of confrontation or what could be confrontation. Or, you know, we're looking at the way that Jesus handled crisis or handled a situation. But it would apply to everything else we've been learning. Like for David, you know, we learned that he had a, a big spirit and problem with lust. So if your thing is going to be lust, then you don't stand by the, you know, situation that's going to draw you away. You don't get on that social media site. You, you don't look at the thing that's going to draw you and tear you down. You know, with, with Jesus, you know, this is a, these are all relational things. And he's showing us how to speak and how to be calm. If, you, if your thing is greed, you know, you might practice giving. It'll, it'll cure you. It just does the thing. If, you, if your problem is pride, if we fall into that kind of situation, it's like these are giants in our lives that we have to bring down. If pride is the thing that moves us, then we have to learn humility on purpose. You know, we have to take the steps on purpose so that we can regain control of our own selves. And until we do, until we have self-mastery, everything outside, everything peripheral, outside of in your, your mind, your heart, your, your being as you walk around, everything out here is going to seem a little out of touch, a little confused, a little chaotic maybe, and definitely out of control. But once you master you and you master yourself, it's amazing how things outside of you are very clearly put into perspective everywhere that you go as you carry the authority of the kingdom of God, okay? Sometimes you'll, you can end up in a situation where, I mean, I, I can get my, I don't know, my hair done or I can get groceries. I, just different places that you frequent, wherever you are. With Scott, it's at the car lot dealing with different individuals on buying and selling trucks. You run into just hundreds of people. And they always want to pour out their life and tell their story. Why is that? It's not because I'm so great. It's because Christ in me is the hope of glory and I'm walking in his authority. When I sit in the chair you know, to get my hair done, there's, it's amazing what happens if you've ever seen Barbershop, one, two, three, or four, or whatever, you know, if you've ever seen any of those movies, there's like a community thing that starts to happen when somebody's getting a haircut. It's the same for women, it's just I do it in South County instead of, you know, wherever. But the conversation is always about relationship and what people are going through and what is the advice of the day. And I don't do that, I don't go in there and talk about my family drama I don't go in there and talk about things that I'm dealing with in my life. I walked in there with authority, believing that God, if God set me in a room I'm, and I have something to offer to it, I will. I don't go in there and just start giving unsolicited advice. But always, 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 I'm asked when I'm, when I'm there. And over time, it builds relationship to where people actually call me and write me on Messenger. Hey, this is happening. What, what do you think about that? Why? It's the authority of the kingdom of God. And then you find a place where you can flip the switch that you're not ashamed or afraid to speak what you know the truth actually is. That's what Jesus was trying to get those guys to understand on the road when the other people are spitting on them and making fun of them. We didn't come here to fight with a sword. We came here to change the fabric of culture. We, we came here to speak something that would be life-giving to people, that people might matter. You know, you wanted to destroy people because they spoke something against you. That's so little. There's so much more that God wants to speak and, and do in our lives. Here, Last Supper, Judas betrayed Jesus. It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. Jesus' disciples said, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to get Passover? And he sent two of his disciples telling them, go to the city. The man carrying the water will meet you and follow him. Say to the owner of the house, 
he enters. The teacher asks, where's my guest room where I'm going to eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large room upstairs. It's furnished, ready to make preparations for us there. So the disciples left, went to the city, found the things just as Jesus told them, and they prepared the Passover. And then that evening came. Jesus arrived with the 12, and while they were reclining at the table to eat, he said, I'm telling you this, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened. See, Jesus talked to them. He made what, what he was going through known. He, he spoke about it. He didn't just live in, a, you know, in an isolation on an island somewhere. He actually is communicating what he's feeling. They were saddened, and one by one they said, surely you don't mean me. It's one of the 12, he said, the one who dips his bread in the bowl with me, and the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples. He said, take, this is my body. And he took the cup and had given thanks, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which I have poured out for many. He said, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, ah, I, skipped, I skipped forward. This is a place where Judas ends up. Jesus tells him, friend, go do what you have to do quickly. And then this is forward to the garden where he betrays him with the kiss. Okay, and we'll just skip right into that part. They're, they're at the garden, and it says, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived with a large mob, swords, clubs, with swords and clubs, and was with him from the high priest and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. He said, the one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. And he went right up to Jesus. He said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Friend, Jesus said, why have you come? And they came into cold of Jesus, arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. Jesus said, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by it. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide for me at once more than legions of angels, more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Have you come out with me? with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't do anything to defend himself, and he doesn't do anything to flatten the whole situation as he could have. And I wanted you to see it, that it was in the scripture. If you look here in Luke, this is when Herod saw Jesus. It's another situation. We already talked about it, but I want you to see that it's in the word. So when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. He had wanted to see him for a long time because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform a miracle. Herod questioned Jesus at great length, but he, Jesus, gave no answer. And meanwhile, the chief priest and scribes stood there vehemently accusing him. I know these are examples about people, but I want you to look at the restraint and the self-governing, the self-mastery of Jesus. There's a scripture here. In Thessalonians, it says that the God of peace sanctifies you and me and that through and through your entire self, your spirit, soul, and body are sanctified, kept blameless until the coming of Jesus. How? It's because of Christ in you. It's the way that God is trying to get us to understand authority that we walk in by self-government. And I wanted to talk about this too. Look, if we can set our minds like we set our will and have, you know, willpower, that's a good thing. You can have willpower for sure, but it's little, okay? Yeah, you set your mind, you capture your thoughts, you take your thoughts into captivity, we cast down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, all of those things. We get all of that, right? 
but how do we do it? Because what it, what it boils down to, and this is what I feel like is the takeaway part of today, of all the things Jesus is trying to show us, we, all of us have the same 24 hours in a day. And some, sometime, you know, if you think about this week, this holy week that's coming up, Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen. If you ever watched that show, The Chosen, there's a scene where they're walking into Jerusalem and there's some, there's some crucifixion. There's three criminals that are crucified and Jesus walks up on it and he just stops and takes a breath and he, he, he just kind of goes, Whew. like he's looking at what's getting ready to happen. He knows and he's aware of the time. But then there's other time where, like, that, that is just, like, static. It's, like, every, every 60 seconds, there's one minute that's gone by, you know. Every 60 minutes, one hour has gone by, right? Every 24 hours, there's been a day. Everybody has the same amount of time up until our time is gone on this earth. And so what we do is we take our day and we spend it, and we, we spend our lives on different things. And I think, you know, if you look at, like, the overall picture of our culture and our society and how much time we spend on what, it'll help us begin to govern ourselves, okay? And here's what I, here's what I mean by that. It's every choice that you make and, and how do you spend your time. You, you are basically a ball of energy. Everything, you know, it used to be matter and energy in science. Remember that? You were matter and energy was something like you'd put your little your little wires together from the battery and, you know, figure out how to make it work. Well, then we figured out we could do that through just a potato. There was some kind of energy in a potato that would, that would make some kind of scientific experiment of a, of a battery-powered unit go. Today, in science, it's spoken that everything is energy, even you sitting there. You just, you move at a different pace than the wind. You have a different kind of presence in the earth, but everything is kind of connected, you know, that's not a new age thought, that's the plan of God, God creates all of creation to move and flow together, and so here you are, this ball of energy, and as I get older, I'm in my 50s now, I notice that I, I still have energy, I have a profound amount of energy for things that I do, but it doesn't last as long as it used to, so I can have my grandkid, and man, I love her for the first couple hours. And then I'm like, take a nap. Aren't you tired? Let's take a little sleep. And she has this little thing she does where she'll grab her face, and she'll go, I'm so tired. And I know she's making fun of us. I'm so tired. She'll say it. Well, do I walk around, though, and, and in my lifetime, do I just walk around and complain about how tired I am? No, I don't do that. I'm measuring my energy. And I'm gonna, if I know that I'm going to spend that amount of energy here, then I have to store it up from somewhere else. Because you're giving energy, and you're taking energy all the time. If you think about, like, my husband likes these old cars. And it's, if you talk about, like, carbon imprints on the globe, we, we have a lot of them because of the fuel that we use. And, but the, the idea is that the car needs to be fueled again and again because it will run out of gas. It's a perfect analogy to understand. Our lives, we, have to, we give energy, and we have to take time to receive energy. This is part of how you begin to govern yourself, to master yourself, to walk in authority over yourself. And here's a couple of things that I, you know, that I think take up a lot of time and a lot of our mind, and a lot of our place. I, I can tell you this, I, I can get motivated if somebody wants to come and get me and go on an outing, or, you know, go out, go out to eat, or, you know, do something fun, but it's harder to get motivated to get up and just clean my whole entire house from top to bottom, you know, 
That's a totally different, but I have the same energy, but something can motivate me to, to do something and something else will motivate me to sit on the couch. Do you get what I'm saying? We all have the same amount of time in the day. We all want to walk in kingdom authority. We all want to be the light of the world. We all want to have good relationships, right? But we have to take a, you know, take an inventory of how we're spending the day and what is happening along the way. And is, it, is that working for us or not? Because you only have so many minutes and so many hours and so many days. And then you're done here, you know? So take an inventory of how it looks. So for me, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on problems. We have strategy meetings and we'll talk about problems, things that we have to work through. And it looks like in life we probably spend like 90% of the time talking about the problem and maybe 10% of the time executing a solution. But what if we flip that around and we're like, we spend 10% of the time on identifying the problem and what we're going to do, and then the rest of the time we're working on solution and we become solution-minded so that our whole mind and all of our energy isn't taken by the problems. Does that make sense? <laughs> you spend a lot of time on that. Even your very job. This is a thing that takes a lot of time. Your very work. We have to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you're not eating. You know, you have to work. You exchange your time for money or for goods or for service so that you can provide for your life. Well, what if you hate your job? What if it's a grueling existence and you just despise what you're doing? I mean, some people, maybe you have to do what you do. I don't know. But I can tell you that when you get to a place where you're doing something that you love, it doesn't always feel like work. It actually can feed you. It gives you energy back, you know, if you're doing something you enjoy doing. Now, another way to think about that is my job. Say my job, maybe, maybe I don't think something I do is life-altering or all-important, but if my job allows me to be able to do kingdom things and fun kingdom purpose, then the whole time I'm there, I'm like, this is for the kingdom. And, and you set your mind to make the energy come back to you. Does it, are you tracking with me? You can spend your day in a miserable existence, or you can flip that switch that says, I'm doing what I have to do for the kingdom. And if possible, do something that you like doing, something you enjoy doing. Instead of spending so much time in a place that is draining and taking your energy, you only have so much, right? It's good preaching right there, Lisa. Here's another place we spend a lot of money, or a lot of, a lot of focus, a lot of time, not money, it, and money too, is your relationships. How much time do you spend on negative or toxic relationships? People talk to me about relationships more than anything else. I guarantee you, broken places, things that got hurt, things that hurt me, things that upset me. People walked in, people walked out. People did this, people did that. It's like if we could, if we could possibly begin to spend our energy on relationships that are good, we're going to save ourselves a lot of energy. Energy in, energy out, you know. Govern your time. Govern yourself. Figure out what's feeding you, what motivates you to get going and feed the energy. See, there's this thing about electric cars and how there's such a push. My husband and I will talk about this sometimes because we like the old stuff, you know. And it's not that we like that, that use of a fuel. It's because we like the care and the simplicity of the, the design in a day that's gone by. And we like to treasure that and preserve it and, and look at something wonderful from that day. You know, and plus they're really loud. Pretty sure that's why Scott 
likes those kind of trucks. But the new thing is, you know, those electric cars or, you know, smart cars, and everybody wants to have some kind of Tesla or something. Well, they both require fuel, but I can tell you that a Tesla can never pull up and get some regular and work, you know. And our cars, our old trucks, it's never going to be able to pull up into the electric, you know, plug-in thing and, and be refueled. Different kinds of people take different ways. We all need a different kind of fuel. So what I'm telling you is a lot of times the way that we're wired is we're, you hear a message like this and you're like, okay, I'm going to order my life. I'm going to do some things that motivate me for good, that spare my energy and, you know, wh whatever. Well, if you're, if you're going for the wrong fuel, <laughs> it's not going to get you very far. And you're still going to feel spent and you're still going to feel tired. It's still going to feel chaotic out there until you start to govern yourself. Because there's something about fueling up in the presence of God and taking time to speak the word, Hosanna, and, and yielding yourself to the thing. What if, you know, what if we... What if we started to spend our emo emotional energy in a positive place? Because alongside of all the relationships that are toxic, that we give our attention and energy to, we spend negative emotions. The Bible talks over and over about negative emotions. Rid yourself of malice and hate and, and evil and jealousy and all these kind of things that divide us. But we don't do that. We, we like we like. We, like, flourish on that kind of stuff, you know. We're talking about it over on the side. We're, you know, it, it's the plan of God that we would rid ourselves of those negative emotions that drain our energy, that use up our life, that forbid us from becoming who we say that we want to become. What if we focused on love or joy or peace or forgiveness? And what if we were bold enough to make a step in that direction, to, to have a connection? To, to live our lives in the place of this good energy. I know that sounds like some kind of new age idea. It's not. It's as old as Moses. It's older than that. The plan of God is for us to live in a place where we can govern ourselves. That's how Jesus was so perfectly capable to correct the guys when they would get off track. Don't worry about those things. We're here for kingdom work. We have to figure out how to order the day so that it doesn't order us. Because if we don't have control over our emotions, they will control us. If we don't set our mind on how we're going to function and how we're going to react, there will be a reaction. There's a response and there's a reaction. You respond out of that, that time that you take to think and to look at your day and to plan it on Palm Sunday. How do you get government governance over yourself? How do you find the fuel that you need? I'm going to tell you this. If you, if you end up in a situation where any of those things, your job, your emotions, your relationships, your work, you know, if any of those things are not on cue for your life, this is the day that you begin to make a decision and move in the direction of a different job, different relationships, different peace, different grace. And you start to walk it out in a way that you can have self-control. Not just the kind where I have my willpower that I'm not going to sin, you know. That's like the ABCs of Christianity. But you have an enemy that walks around like the roaring lion, you know, prowls around seeking whom he can devour and putting in your path broken places. And you have to make a decision, child of God, where will I fall and where will I stand? And where will I find a way to collect my life and make it something that, 
that emulates the life of Jesus Christ, that self-governance is a thing that I want, that I want to have control over myself, my mind, my mood, my emotions, my attitude, and where I go and who I'm with and where I spend my time. Because all of those things are a reflection of who I am in the kingdom of God. And you're never going to have authority to bring down strongholds until you have authority over yourself, right? Will you guys stand up with me? I'm not going to keep us here all day. I just wanted you to have the, the inclination to begin to move your life in a direction where you govern yourself. So, you know, somebody would say, don't blame what I do on me. Yeah, it's time to have ownership. Like when you have ownership about something, you know, then you can begin to make a plan to make it different. Everyone has the same amount of time. You have the same amount of time I do. Excuses are going to wear really thin when you're standing before the maker of everything. Who do you want to be when you grow up? And what do you want to see for your life? And what legacy do you want to leave for the people coming up behind you? Goodness and kindness and forgiveness and mercy and the power of God to transform a life, the authority of God on the inside that we begin to overcome our emotions. We work in a job that we actually enjoy. We find a mindset that glorifies God. And we begin to walk across the aisle and mend relationships. And we let go of toxic ones in the name of Jesus. Guys, I love you. I'll see you next week. It's Easter Sunday. We're going to baptize people pretty soon. The kingdom of God is moving forward. And we're here if you guys want to pray. Okay, I love you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of the Loft Podcast. If you want to be a partner with The Loft, you can give on Giveify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 1030 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.